0: Thank you for joining us for another episode of RVA DIRT's Municipal Mania on WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond. Today, Francesca, Jesse, and myself, Melissa, decided to throw out our regularly scheduled programming so that we could speak with Princess Blanding, the sister of Marcus David Peters, who was killed by Richmond Police Officer Michael Nyantaki back in May. Recently, Princess received the preliminary report on her brother's death investigation by the RPD, and we thought it best to listen to what she had to say. First, we do a little bit of discussion, and then we'll get into the interview. Today we're here. Here we are. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, so, it's my wedding
1: anniversary, and I'm in here recording. Yeah. Hey. As I said, not happy, the original plan.
0: Happy anniversary. Let's talk about systemic police racism. Great. Yeah.
2: So that's exactly what we're talking about, Melissa. Great segue. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about uh, policing specifically as, you know, the update of how the Marcus David Peters case has uh, has. I don't want to say evolved, but has continued over the past few weeks. So we want to give you an update on that. Continue to unfold. There we go. Mm -hmm. But then also talk about some of the things that have been released since. So I'll give you guys a quick little highlight here. The last episode that we had about this was around the march that happened that was subsequent to him being killed. And we had a lot of different voices that were speaking to you directly from the front lines of this march. And since then, there has been a community meeting. And the community meeting was called by the family of Marcus David Peters and the administration, which means Mayor Stoney and Chief Durham were invited. Unfortunately, neither of them attended. Um, they had prior, Stony had prior arrangements. I don't think Durham's ever responded to like why he wasn't there.
1: And that caused a whole nother different portion of the scandal. But go ahead.
2: Yeah. Um, and then uh, from there, we had the mayor's office hours. So first one was the fifth district office hours, which is Par- Councilman Parker at district. And that was a very heated, lengthy evening. Followed by that, the investigation was actually completed. So the investigation at this point is still completed. However, it has not been released to the general public. It's been and, forwarded
0: on to the Commonwealth's attorney. Yeah.
2: yeah. So the Commonwealth's attorney is now reviewing it. And once that's reviewed, um, they will determine what they're, if they're going to basically indict or not. And that'll determine the next steps of this. Since then, also, the mayor had the uh, his office hours in the 4th District. Which is Kristen Larson's is, district. Yep. And after that meeting... Richmond police had decided to finally release their training. So, yeah. So for me personally, one of my things before we even jump into some of the things that have been said here is around when the information has been released and when these meetings are being um, held. So some of the family's demands have been to have community meetings around reform and try to make progress on that front um, at this quickly. point quickly. Quickly. Mm -hmm. There has been a little bit from the administration, you know, there have been offers made on the table to meet with different people and a couple of different things um, that were declined by the family. So I will acknowledge that. But they also didn't come to a community meeting that they were invited to. Right. So there's
0: tension there. Their point is they don't want to have private meetings. They want everything to be out in the open and public for everyone to see. On top of it, you have... For me personally, I take issue with this
2: where in the 5th District community meeting we have on video, and this is not the first time it was said, where they committed to having these meetings after the investigation was concluded and forwarded to the Commonwealth's attorney. When they released the fact that the investigation had been forwarded in the press release, it stated they would not have these conversations until after the CA had reviewed it.
1: Yeah. Right, which is a, made decision.
2: a flip-flop. Right, which to me has been something that it, it frustrates me when we talk about holding people accountable of this is your commitment and this is what you said you were going to do. If you're not going to do that, please address why you have changed your mind on this.
0: We'll co-sign that frustration, won't we, Frank? Yeah, we yeah. sure
2: will. Um, so I was just kind of, when that press release came out, I was a little bit heated to begin with. <laughs> um, but let's talk about some of the things that have been said at these meetings. So at the 5th District meeting, um, that one was – for me the most eye-opening so i've been at all these meetings yeah she has um, Lord, And but bless fran her. and melissa have both watched the videos mm-hmm. so yeah we're aware of what went on things that came out of the fifth district meeting the most perturbing to me was when directly asked if they feel if they will at least acknowledge that there's a systemic problem with policing and racism
1: let's correct that chief durham was personally asked
0: yes directly asked and not asked whether he believes it's in the Richmond Police Department, but just in general, systemic and police forces overall. He said no, with a
1: straight face. But he
0: also said it like no, like in my mind, that would be the
2: equivalent of John Belial saying not just no, but hell no. Like that was the tone that <laughs> Durham had
1: in it of just like an just like how could you? <laughs> well, I never. Well, let's know. <laughs> let's back it up right before that statement was made. Several people were standing up in the audience trying to explain this concept to him Mm. in every which way it could be explained. And so as these different citizens are standing up saying, well, this is an issue, what do you think about this? And his response was, being a cop is a job. It's just a job. And then the next person says, well, while we understand that, here are the other things that we want to address. Do you not see or understand or have some type of awareness that there's a systemic issue in this country with brown people and policing? And he said very quickly, no, it's not just what he said. It was in the context of the conversation. It's not as if somebody called him up on the spot and surprised him with this. This is the chief of police. This is not the first question
2: it was lead up mm-hmm. there was ample opportunity for him to recognize it was not a blindsided question
1: i think it's no, what you're going to it, it wasn't a blindsided question this is the, not the first time i hope it's not the first time he's heard that concept before and surely as a black police officer in a majority black city you've heard these concepts and should have had some type of training on these things
0: uh, well, also what really struck me, honestly, not just what his words were, but the community reaction. I can still hear it in my head. It wasn't just wails of shock. It was wails of pain mm-hmm. and anger. I mean, wailing.
1: I cried. It, it was I, unbelievable. Both of watching the video. Both
0: of, both of the videos of both of these meetings that we're going to talk about, we've watched them, and I, I, I've been absolutely wrecked over them. And so many emotions, not just one or two or whatever. It's everything all at once. And if you're not feeling that, Maybe part of the problem, too. And the other thing I think
2: is that's important to note at this point that creates an interesting dichotomy in the city is the mayor, they they reiterated the question because he did ask Durham and the mayor. And Durham answered first with this whole thing. And then Stoney was directly asked. And Stoney says, yes, that he's been on record before and that he does believe there's a systemic problem. So you have a mayor who has hired he, he didn't hire but maintains the employment
1: yeah of the police chief and reiterates that that is it, the case
2: right that reiterate so but at the same time he acknowledged it but your chief of police doesn't that's kind of strange to me of how do you reconcile those two things that are completely conflicting conflicting ideals
0: from here on out, we're going to give the floor to Princess Blanding, Marcus David Peters' sister, and let her describe what these meetings were like for her in her own words, especially the 4th District Mayor's Community Office Hours, right after she received the findings of the RPD investigation into her brother's death. Our conversation, the three of us, continues well on past an hour, so make sure you check out our SoundCloud link on our social media pages to get the entire hour, and 40-plus-minute episode.
2: Since the march was the last time that we talked to you on our show, uh, your family has hosted a community meeting and been to a number of the mayor's office hours. So just wanted right. to kind of start with, what have those meetings like been like for you, what your takeaways have been, kind of your experience, and things that have happened to date?
3: Right. And so um, the meeting that we had on May 30th, where we requested the attendance of both uh, Mayor Stoney and uh, Chief Durham, Neither of them showed up, um, and they were simply requested to I directly sent them an invitation or uh, uh, email, and they were requested to come and listen to the concerns of the community not to speak. As I knew they would say, there's an ongoing investigation, and they were not at liberty. So again, neither um, attended. We did have uh, Ms. Debbie Rowe, who had to leave our meeting a little early, and she went to a local restaurant, and there she found Mayor Stoney. Uh, you know, sitting at the bar, which, you know, she called Mayor Stoney on the carpet about that and immediately contacted me and also sent me a picture. So very disappointing, you know, that that, you know, is where his priority lied. when um, he was dishonest about being in Windsor during the community uh, meeting time, you know, not to say that he wasn't there earlier, but during the time of the community meeting he was in Richmond um, and, and he was at a local restaurant. And Princess, um, so, really
0: quickly, he only gave you, an, sure. what, an hour or an hour and a half's notice that he wasn't going to come? even though 11.39. Even though he knew he had a prior engagement. He could yes. have told you at any yes. time. All right. Thank you for clarifying that. Right, but that. still,
3: again, 11.39 is when that, 11.39, that day, is when the email came through saying that he would not be able to attend. And as you just pointed out, according to him, and he said publicly he already had, uh, prior engagement schedule, when he waited until 11:39 the day of to say that he couldn't come. On top of that, he was spotted by a community member sitting at the bar, you know, um, and so he was not where he said he was. And so when she called him on the carpet at the second community meeting and then kind of elaborated and pushed it, he kind of resorted to saying, "Well, I said I wasn't coming," you know. Um, so.
2: And I was wondering, Princess, did meet, was there ever a response uh-huh. from Chief Durham to the invitation?
0: Cause I remember there, no. I don't think. Um, okay. So no, your answer is no. Chief no, Durham
3: no. never responded back uh, uh, to the request that he attended. No. Okay. Yeah, no. The, yeah. And I can go, I'll talk in a second about my communication with uh, Chief Durham as it's the first communication with him was um, the other day on the uh, 26th, um, just moments before the meeting, he put an envelope in my hand. But so let me go to the first community meeting. And at, at the first community meeting, um, you know, Mayor Stoney, you know, uh, he brought Chief Durham up, you know, with him as when they got to the safety, uh, you know, part. And as we were asking questions, he continued to say that he couldn't speak until after the investigation was completed. Uh, he also went on to say that the investigation would be complete the following weekend, the um, following week, excuse me. Um, he stressed that, um, you know, when, when asked about in the Marcus Alert, you know, and put something in place now, the urgency of now, um, you know, he continued to kind of make excuses as to why we couldn't work on putting things in place, you know, at, at, the, at the current time. Um, so I, I questioned him about various uh, parts of the information that was uh, put out regarding what happened with Marcus and, you know, uh, transparency, the lack of transparency. Um, as Chief Durham has said things that were not honest, you know, that were not true, and he passed judgment. On Marcus with his statement that being naked does not take away, um, you know, any, any threat. You know, I also, I got on mayor Stoney pretty hard because, you know, at no point did they try to put the truth out, you know, they put out a narrative that they wanted people to, to go forth, knowing that it was not the truth, you know, um, you know, and, and I said to him multiple times, your answers are not acceptable because he, in my eyes, tried to play the safe political role, you know, as, let me say something to us, appease the people, but not to say anything that could, you know, that that I might have to, that might come back to bite me. Um So the, you know, was a, a lot of support coming from the community. Another thing that came up was um, their, I believe it was their May report of use of force didn't include Marcus's death on it. So there was another young lady, I think she uh, might have been on there with um, race Capital, with Chase Chelsea. Yeah, that was um, a who Liz, Liz Costin. Right. So she put it up on her phone and stated that it wasn't there. Chief Durham made a fool out of himself by insisting that it was, and she pulled it up and said, hey, it's not. Um, You know, so, again, they just have not been forthcoming with what has happened with markets. Um, You know, rolling on to the – so they said that it would be ended uh, the following week. On Tuesday, very interesting – um, my family and I go to the police department to submit papers to march again. And there was a mom behind our, our, us doing that, but um, we went and submitted papers to march again. And within 15 minutes of uh, leaving the police station, uh, I received a phone call from James Rayno. And James, Captain James Lano, and he said, I just want to inform you that the investigation has been completed. and turned over to the Commonwealth Attorney, uh, Mr. Heron, uh, you know, and I said, well, are you all going to release this information to the public? And I'm from New York, so I speak quickly. So slow me down if you need to. Um, <laughs> so the, I, I asked them, uh, you know, were they going to release it to the public? And they said no. Well, James Lano said no. He said, you know, the Commonwealth attorney needs to uh, complete an investigation. And I said, what? You know, what, what do you mean the Commonwealth attorney needs to complete an investigation? You all said the investigation is done. And you would turn it over to him to make a decision as to whether charges will be filed or not. And he said, oh, no, what I meant was, you know, and then he just said what I said, you know, that the Commonwealth attorney has to the information to make a decision. So I said, so why aren't you all releasing what has already been completed, you know, to the, to the public? And he just kept repeating himself. So I kind of ended that call. Then I want to say about two hours after that, I got a call from the mayor's office, you know, um, and it was Osita, I think her name is. Um, she had contacted me and, you know, the mayor wants to set up a, a, a meeting with the, a private meeting with the family. And, you know, I let her speak and then I declined and I said, no, I, we do not want a private meeting with the family. They're, this meeting needs to take place with the, you know, family to
0: include the community. Right, and you've been really and, consistent you know, about that, though, that you want all of your meetings with these officials in public, so that everything is transparent and out in the open.
3: Very much so, because otherwise it's my word against theirs. Correct. You know, um, and, and there's no need for any private meetings. They they publicized, you know, my brother's death. You know that 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 became very public. So let's continue to be very open, you know, with everything. And so I, I made it clear that no, that's not acceptable. And I, my response back goes in, and I can read it to you if you want me to. But, you know, it goes back to basically states that um, I will not engage in a private meeting, you know, and I told them the terms in which I will have a meeting, you know, that it will be with myself and the public, and that I will only meet when and if the mayor is ready and willing to go forward with uh, supporting the implementation of our, our demands, making sure that our demands are met, the, Marcus alert, the uh, crisis intervention team, uh, to be the first responders to a market alert, a civilian review board. So I sent her that, that text message, and she said, okay, I'll get back to you, uh, and then she responded back, you know, basically saying that the mayor was willing to do, with it, do exactly what I asked, basically. Um, so it was just interesting that it all happened the same day. We went from no communication to a lot of communication from captain james leno to the mayor's office and you know when we dropped off the papers i had to go to the restroom really really bad and the young lady said well what is this for kind of with an attitude the police officer at the counter and you know i said it's for march you know, and then I went to the restroom and my uncle was there. And then she said to him, well, what are you guys marching for back to school? <laughs> and, he, and he said, uh, no, you know, this is for, you know, my nephew, you know, who was killed. She's an older school teacher, you know, and, and he said, yeah, you know, so I'm sure they were quick to kind of push it up, you know that this is what we just put in, in place, you know, and I, I wanted it to be, you know, we wanted it to be, uh, them to know, especially knowing that two days later we had this city, you know, his, his office hours, you know, to so continue to put the pressure on. Uh, but again, what was interesting is, is just the communication that took place. Fifteen minutes later, Captain James, Lano, who has never contacted me, posted the day that I met him uh, to do the, the video, and then within about two hours after that, you know, or two after, two hours after leaving the mayor's office. Uh, pushing for a meeting. And so we go on to his meeting, his last meeting that we just attended on the 26th. Um, And and by that time, uh, you know, my family, um, actually before we went and put in the papers for the March, uh, one of my sisters, one of our sisters, who's up in uh, Pennsylvania, had called to ask if the toxicology report was back, uh, an autopsy. And, And they were told yes, however, that it would only be released to our parents. Okay, we understand it. So my dad went and got it. Um, and, you know, they reviewed it and, and brought me a copy and I reviewed it. And, you know, some findings and, and, and that I confronted uh, Mayor Stoney about on the 26th is that if you all look at the press conference that he held, okay, I think it was May 25th, but the press conference that he held when he released the video to the public, he clearly put up a diagram and he speaks on how Marcus was shot twice to the ambulance. There's no mention at all of a sh- any any gunshot wound to the arm, you know, and some said, "Well, maybe it went through the arm to the abdomen." It was never mentioned. It was never brought to our attention. You know, it was never stated to the public. So, Wait, how you, that can you say
0: that hand? again? Can can you repeat that sure. again? Um, Absolutely. So so, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry, you go ahead. I just want no, to hear no. that again from you. Sure.
3: So when John uh, Dur- Durham. Mm-hmm. did his press conference, and he released the video to the public. It clearly, he put a diagram up, and I can send it to you because I went ahead and took and put, played the video on my computer, then I recorded it on my cell phone. Okay. Um, so I'll be more than happy to send it to you guys, just to, to save you some time. But he clearly put a diagram up, and he speaks about how, you know, Marcus was has and then within, he gets stressed at that 18 seconds, you know, mm-hmm. and how Marcus was then shot in the absence twice yeah. There's never any mention of any other gunshot wounds. Okay, so some people, what I'm saying is that some people say, well, maybe he was shot in the arm and it went through his arm into his abdomen. At no point did Chief Dormer ever, 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 speak of any additional gunshot wound except, from, uh, except for the ones to the abdomen. So as I read the all property report, it goes on to, to be pretty specific, and it doesn't, uh, what it says is that there were two gunshot wounds to the abdomen that were front to back as far as the path, the trajectory, front okay. to back gunshot wound to the arm and it says that it and so if you just kind of visualize with me it goes on to say 19 inches down from the shoulder so if you take your arm but open your arm out and go 19 inches from the shoulder down is where it entered at and it exited 15 inches down from the shoulder so if you just think of that math and that visualization it it went in one you know it went in one direction and it exited on the an angle, okay because it do you see what i'm saying yes 15 yes. inches down just put a spot and then if it's exiting 15 inches down, but that is it, it, X-Men further up, if that makes any sense. Yes. So, so I'm in my visual, to diagram it.
2: Yes. Yeah, so like in my visualization of it, you know, I'm trying to think of how you could get an angle like that. And it wasn't just, a, to me, there has to be some level of a height difference. I would almost say of having something above somebody for right. it to even be. On and, an and, angle. and so, Right, and so again,
3: my 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 assumption in my mind, and I could be wrong, and I was hoping they would prove me wrong, you know. And if you notice on the twenty sixth, I asked right. how many times was Marcus shot, and he had such a long pause, you know. He just stared at me with such a long pause. You see, Chief Durham get up a couple of times, you know. But again, I'm not saying that it was. I can't stand on the solid ground and say I know it was three, but I do know that they only they only advised us of two gunshot wounds to the admiral. Even when we went to the hospital. We were, and my Uncle Jeff is sitting right next to me. We were never told of a shot to the arm. Why? But in my if you, my opinion, if it just analyzing things. And I've read that all the time. I've read it all so many times. You know, Gosh, I'm sure you've had it
0: memorized things, you know,
3: by now. Right. You know that, And I could be so wrong. And so I'm not saying this with facts. But if you ask me what my opinion as to what happened is, I believe that Martin was shot a, a third time after he was shot the first few times. And this is my reason why. So, again, I'm going to send you guys the videos as soon as I get off the phone. Okay. Chief Durham only speaks about the two gunshot wounds to the admin. They turn off the video after the other six police officers come, and the state trooper, tells, uh, Niatake, uh, state trooper says something about you may need to pull out your taser. Naitaki says something on the lines of no, you may need more firearms, and we may need to pull out a, a, a more deadly force, you know, or something to that effect, Okay. Then the State Trooper tells I attack put your gun away and go back to your vehicle. The video ends within that time frame, okay? You see, uh, even before that happens, you see the other officers come and some of them put on gloves, and you hear them yelling, I believe, like, turn the roll over or something like that. Yes, they're Marcus telling them loudly
0: to roll over, yes.
3: Right. Marcus is moved, and you see some of them back up, okay? We never see them rendering this aid that, that Durham keeps talking about, never. It's never them rendering this aid, and the video turns off after uh, Niyataki told to return back to his service vehicle, but also after he said to pull out more firearms. So again, and my if you ask asked me if I had a crucible, what happened? I believe it was a state trooper that may have shot Marcus. Okay, because Niyataki was already told to put away, told to put away your firearm and return back to your vehicle after he said something about pulling out more deadly force. So, again, I can't stand, again, I'm going to say it many times, that's my opinion, you know, as to what is the is, is a, is a possibility that may happen. Because, again, why would you all, if it was the fact that it went through his arm and penetrated through his abdomen, why was that never said? This this came to the family as well, that he was shot in the arm. Why did we never know anything about a shot to the arm? So
2: that's kind of, I spoke about that, you know, as well. So I moved on to, go ahead. So I know one thing that kind of comes up when people talk about like the number of things, and I I just want to kind of point out and maybe ask even for your opinion, you know, Mm -hmm. this goes far beyond Mm -hmm. even saying it's a difference of two versus three. It's a matter Mm -hmm. of there was actually a gunshot because there could always be things with entrance and exits, but it's also a matter of there was a gunshot to a part of his body that was never previously disclosed and not even a part of the discussion. Right. Yeah. Okay.
3: Absolutely, and
2: that's why I stress that.
3: We never were told that. When I read it, you know, read it, it's hard to read. So a lot of the families, we, you know, some of us, a few of us that looked at it, they knew they it, we haven't, but I read it with a fine-toothed and I had to read it again. And I said, well, wait a minute. And then I saw the diagram. You know how they have a, a diagram of your body? Yes. And they and they pointed out that one. And I said, what's the? And I picked up the phone. I called my, you know, some of my family. Members. I said, I need y'all to hear what I'm reading, you know, is that there. And then I read not only the diagram, it's written. It, it, it speaks about the two, you know, the, when they transcribe, you know, it speaks about the two to the arm and one to the arm. So again, if, why was this never mentioned? And to me, they, they what they hoped, and I spoke about this too, is that they never, in their best days or worst, thought that they were going to have the type of fight that Marcus would have people fighting and advocating for him. I think they made major assumptions that day because even Chief Durham, when my uncle and I, who's sitting with me, went to view the video, Chief Durham said, I hope that after viewing this video, tape, you know, the body camera footage, that it brings you all closure. And and while we were watching it, he said, he said, did you see what the brother said? Did you see what the brother did? Trying to, in, R, in my opinion, in our heads, trying to make us feel like, you know what, maybe Marcus did deserve this, you know. So I believe that they never in their, in their brightest days saw the fight that they, that they have gotten and they will continue to get. And they tried, and they thought that this was just going to be swept on the, under the rug. And, and being that it hasn't, and being that, you know, the family has been fighting like hell, and we have a very strong legal team, uh, Mr. Benjamin Crump, who has covered many high-profile cases, you know, they're scrambling. They're scrambling and, and I believe that for this last meeting, Durham was told to sit down and shut up because every time he speaks, he says things that just, you know, puts them in a horrible situation. Right. And and you know, such as the last time he was asked, you know, he put something on the line that he asked that the killing the black and brown people with a problem, and his answer was no. But if you notice that during this time, he didn't speak. No. You know? Not. Um, you know, and, and, and even when we listen to watch the video, the, the for the police officer to be the one that shot the gun the the gunshots are very low very very low as far as audible you know and then you know and to me that was done intentionally because if it was a loud pop pop the reaction from people is going to be different than that real mother sound that we can see you know here on there and they tell us that it was not uh that the video that they showed us was not um altered any however not that i wanted to see it when we watched it, my brother's private area was blotted out. So I noticed somebody got in and did some editing. So, so to say that she gave us that pure, unaltered, you know, video is not true. So, again, when we look at the last meeting, two of the things that I really, really zoomed in on was, you know, the toxicology report, you know, it clearly states that, you know, uh, it goes through show tons of things that they tested Mark before, okay? Okay. Um, one being the flock of it, some people made the assumption of. And it, it clearly states, you know, see the top boxes as positive finding for any any compounds that were detected. And it says it's bold, centered, not detected. Okay? You know, but again, they were hoping that, in my opinion, that it would come out that he was hung out on X, Y, and Z. You know, they don't want to accept the fact that they killed somebody who was having a mental health crisis, which falls under the American Disability Act. You know, and so again, what they still may not know is they got a huge load of you know what on their hands because between the fight that I and my family have us and on legal team, they're not getting out of this one. I can't say what uh, Michael hearing will make as his final verdict, but I'm gonna tell you Richmond is about to get hit real hard. You know, and I don't just mean a lawsuit; I mean as far as just the fight. You know, because this cannot continue to be the norm. You know, for black and brown people. And 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 and, and what makes me so angry is that. There are so many black and brown people or just just minorities, underrepresented subs, you know, who this things like this happen to, but they don't have somebody that is willing to fight like hell for them. And so it's swept under the law and people just accept whatever the narrative is that the police department has put out there. Another thing that I talk about is, um, and I think this might have been the first meeting, or maybe it was the, the past one, is Chief Durham, when I say that they have not been honest. Chief Durham clearly stated that his officer did not engage Marcus. Okay, if you just look at the reference points, when the uh, reference points, excuse me, when the officer got out of his car with his gun pointed to towards Marcus, which from what I've read is against a continuum of force, use of force. Okay, but when he got out of his service vehicle with his gun part pointed towards Marcus, he was right there at his vehicle. When all was said and done, he was close to the guardrail. So he absolutely did and we have evidence that the officer absolutely did engage Marcus. However, they clearly stated that the officer did not. You know, but they were hoping that what they put out is what the family and the community was gonna buy. And some communities did buy it, but as long as the family and our fight for justice and reformation, we're not giving up, you know, because we know that they're lying. They know they're lying. When I was out there on the twenty sixth, the mayor's office was texting me literally probably just, you know, a couple of hours before it was time. Blowing my phone up. Chief Durham, I was sitting in the very front, and uh, Osita came to me, the young lady that works for the mayor's office uh, and has been the main contact between us, came to me and she said, Chief Durham needs to talk to you in the hallway. And I looked at her and I said, for what? And she said, well, he has something to give me. I said, what? And she said, you know, something that you asked for about the crisis intervention training. And I responded to her and said, I don't trust him. Tell him he can come in here with me and the people and we can talk over there against the wall, you know. And so they went in there and they talked for a while and then finally he came in. But isn't it interesting that you feel a need to put this in my hands just moments before this meeting is starting? You know, so again, sometimes it's what people don't say, you know, in their body language and their nonverbal actions that tell a whole lot. Yeah. You know, so that, that's where my family and I were, you know, is that, you know, we're not backing down, you know, holding the mayor is trying to be politically correct and, and playing the game. And as I told him, I, you know, I'm just spilling out my thoughts, my feelings, the facts and also my opinions, you know, mm-hmm. that he's playing the game and he's trying to be politically correct to save himself and to keep himself a nice cushion, you know, to, to move on one day to possibly become a, a governor. You know, but I will make it, and I told him, it's not a threat, I don't make those, I only make promises, that, you know, if he can't do the job, then I will work my butt off every single day, including before you guys called me, what I've been doing, you know, to enlighten, empower people and mobilize them, okay? And then mobilize them, I mean to mobilize them to get to the polls, mobilize them so that we can move again, but on a national level, okay? This will continue to happen, until some strong people Take a stand and don't back down. Like Maxine Waters said, stop telling me that I'm doing a great job. How are you going to support and how are you going to help? And so a goal of ours is to enlighten people about what's going on, about what happened with margins and just in general, what, what goes on and how black and brown people are continuously being treated and this is getting swept under the rug, okay? Empower people that, guess what, you do have a voice and you absolutely can help in this movement and to make change and then to mobilize them in so many different
0: ways. Exactly. Um so on Friday the RPD released sure. their uh their training you know procedures mm-hmm. to the public. Have you had any chance to review that and do you have any thoughts that, on that?
3: That's what they gave me. That's what That's, that's what, what he handed to you. Yeah, that's what he passed me. Um and I did read it pretty thoroughly. And it, it goes on to one of the, uh, is there that's why, I, you know, I'm, when I read that the team was uh, use to force, you know, um but that's how I know that he didn't even follow it. You know, he, he went from, one, you know, one to another. The other thing that's important to look at is, so I'm going to give you an analogy that was given to me, and, and I'm going to ask you a question. So if you're at dinner and you're eating
2: steak, what hand do you hold your fork with?
0: You're eating steak. So,
2: I hold it with my dominant hand, My le- so I'm left-handed, so I hold it with my left hand.
0: Well, if you're cutting. Okay. So, so, so if I'm doing right cutting, right. I would have knife in my right and fork in the left. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So so you, you do you cut with your dominant or do you, do you hold with your dominant? I cut with my dominant.
2: So I'm the other right. way, but I'm left-handed, okay. so you can ignore me because
0: right. I, I know I'm <laughs> so kind of my, weird. I
2: guess my, <laughs> right. So
3: I guess my point is, is that most people are going to hold their knife They're going to cut with their stronger, you know, they're stronger. Like, I'm right handed, so I'm going to hold my stake with my left hand and I'm going to cut it with my right hand because that's my dominant hand, right? So, if you look at one point, he had both a gun and a taser in his hand. The taser being in his left hand, from my understanding, he's right handed, and that's just my understanding, I could be wrong taser in his left hand and the gun that he intended to use, the two that he intended to use in his more dominant hand, the right one. So when we look at why did that taser not work properly? Why did only two electrodes attach to one, excuse me, why did only one out of the two electrodes only attach to Marcus's body, opposed to the two? And as as uh, uh, as, uh, James Leno clearly said that only one of the electrodes attached to Marcus's body. Therefore, it did not produce a complete circuit, and that's why it didn't work. It wasn't that he was just a bionic man. It's because only one of the two electrodes, uh, uh, you know, went. But he had a gun in one hand, and he had his taser in the other hand, taser green in the left hand. You know, so, again, there's a lot of just little things that, you know, because my, you know, my family and I that's working on this, uh, you know, and supporters, you know, and our legal team, we're inhaling and exhaling this every single day. And we're looking at every single, you know, thing and angle, you know, in here, you know, and like I said, you know, the Richmond got a hell of a fight on them, you know, and, and, and as I told the mayor directly, I said, you do best being supportive and working with us, you know, because we're not stopping.
2: Absolutely. We really appreciate that. Um, so, In light of the information you've received from the investigation documents and also reading through all the training Mm -hmm. documents, do you feel like Mm -hmm. your family's demands are going to stay the same or is there any like evolution of your demands at this point? Can you ask that question one more time? Yeah, so in light of the information from the investigation and training documents that you have now, do you feel like your demands mm-hmm. from the beginning are the same or do you think that there is an evolution of them where there might be more things that are needed or is it still the same tenets of the demands? Right.
3: So, uh, no, know, our demands, and someone else asked me that, um, you know, our demands are still the same. So so with the um, crisis intervention, uh, you know, was to release the crisis intervention training and to have that analyzed, you know. Um, and so he, re- he released it, but number one, it was a synopsis. It was not the entire – in depth and i said that to him when he passed it to me and he told me what it was i said to him i said is this the complete 40-hour training that your officers receive?" and he was uttering and stuttering and he said well just just look over it and tell me if you have any questions i said okay i said because what i'm looking for is the complete so it, it, it was information on the cit but it wasn't i don't believe that it was in depth so he did tell me that if I had additional uh, questions to contact him and I would do so this upcoming week because I do not believe that it is the complete exactly what the officers received training it's just a synopsis it tells you you know okay they got 16 hours i mean, you know five hours in this or four hours in this you know and so on so I don't believe that it's the complete uh, crisis intervention training and th- another part of that same demand was for it to be analyzed you know so I, th- I think that it's a little bit of progress, but we're not we're not there, and just meeting that one particular demand.
2: Do you feel that any of your family's ma- demands have actually been met at this point?
3: No, no, because you know one of them, the, the Marcus Alert has not been implemented. You know the crisis intervention team, you know, has not been put together to be the, the uh, uh, a team of mental health experts to be the first responders to that market, market alert, excuse me, a civilian review board. You know, we still do not have that. Um, you know, we still, you know, one of them um, talked about the community meeting um, and we, and we still, we're, 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 making a little bit of progress. So I have tomorrow, I think at 2:30, 30, um, a phone conversation with the mayor's office to talk about that, you know? So I feel that we're making baby steps. But no, none of them have been
0: completely uh, met. And how did you feel when you mentioned the Marcus Alert at this mayor's um, office hours and were told, well, we can't even look at that until after the Commonwealth's attorney goes through all of it? Right. The- um, I,
3: I, I felt the same way a lot of other people felt, is that, again, it doesn't make any sense, you know, because putting the Marcus Alert in place it came in light of what happened with Marcus, but it's nothing that will impede with the investigation. It's basically saying put an alert in place so that when a person is perceived or is confirmed to be having a mental health crisis, that we have the proper people responding, and they're responding without deadly force. So, um, as I told him multiple times, even on the 26th, unacceptable to some of the, some of his answers and, and, and responses, and and it's kind of like he's playing he's he's playing that neutral ground. You know, he's playing that neutral ground, but it's pissing people off. You know, it's pissing people off because, again, um, there was next to nothing that he could answer. He said that. So I had that when uh, Chief Durham passed me the papers, Mm -hmm. It had a cover letter specifically addressed to me. And it clearly stated that the investigation was over. Clearly stated the investigation was over. However, Mayor Stoney, in front of everybody on the 26th, said that the investigation is not over. So they're, they're not even on the same page. But how can the investigation not be over and you all have already turned it over to the Commonwealth attorney? So this this is where I say that they're not being honest. You know, they're just not. They're scrambling. I I get that. But they're not being honest. And so for him to say that he can't speak or he can't, uh, uh, you know, he even made a, a sense that he alone, you know, on on the lines that he alone can't make this happen. The market's like, we're not dumb and we know it. But what I have, what we have asked for is your full support. Okay, and helping us to get this Marcus alert in place. So again, he's he's playing word games and he's playing with our intelligence.
2: And so you mentioned kind of earlier that you filed papers for uh, another march. Is that the one that's yeah. happening on August sixth? I was just curious if there's any details that we could talk no. about with that or.
3: No, 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 no. We're we're um you know we're we're working on the logistics, but we're um working on a march uh, on a national scale. You know um. To take place in September, um, but as soon as we, you know, the coalition meets on Monday, but as soon as we uh, have more concrete information. So we did put in papers for a date, which I'm still kind of hold off on making that public, um, yeah. but we did put in uh, papers for the for a date, um, but we're in the process of working with other national organizers.
0: Oh, well, that's good, because another thing yeah. um, that I've been curious about is how you feel about this not getting national attention when other cases get national attention and this one seems to not have been a blip on the radar outside of Richmond. Right. And, you know,
3: I, I, I have recognized that I can't dwell on it. You know, um, I, I'm, you know, we're very progressive in just moving forward. Um, and the other thing is, is that, you know, we have confidence in our legal team and, and that, you know, once um, Mr. Benjamin Crump, you know, uh, makes his presence, you know, it will get on the national level.
2: I would emphatically agree um, that that is a yeah. very big name, somebody who's very talented um, and well known for uh, right. his previous experience. So I think that's personally, I mean, I'm excited that it's going to be at a national level just because it has been frustrating of like we, we, people have been tweeting, trying to get that coverage. And for some case for a case that is just so blatantly <laughs> Um, every bit of it, of just the mishandling and, and different pieces of it, for it to not have gotten national attention at this point, I, I'm glad to hear that it, it, it will get the attention that it deserves. Yeah,
3: right. So we, you know, we, we definitely have acknowledged that uh, we're, we're not stressing on it. You know, we're we're too uh, tied up with continuously moving forward. But we also do know, you know, it was not easy, uh, you know, uh, locking down Mr. Crump's firm. Um, you know, we did have an opportunity to, to actually meet with him, and we were invited as a special guest to a uh, a jazz concert in Norfolk a few weeks ago. Uh, and, and we have full confidence in, in what he and his team uh, of, of, uh, of, of lawyers that he's collaborating with uh,
2: will do. Excellent. So, um, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time again today, uh, and as always, the time that you've been taking. But the last question would really be, is there anything of, like, final thoughts or comments or how— how the community can support you that you want to end on?
3: Right. Um, and, and that's definitely a, a great question. As far as, you know, support and, you know, we, um, you know, encourage people to get out there and register to vote. Um, you know, as, I, as you may have heard me say earlier, you know, one of the things that we will be working very directly with doing is enlightening people, empowering them, and it mobilizes. And then part of that um, empowerment is the power of, of, of voting, you know. Um, we also encourage people to follow us on social media our, our Facebook, Twitter, um an Instagram account to share. So when posts are put out, you know, uh, you know, regarding justice and reformation for Marcus David Peters to share them, you know, so that they can continue to reach out on, you know, on on large levels or on a widespread level and to turn out for any of our upcoming events. Um, and lastly, I would say you know that you know we want to continue to push out the information for our GoFundMe account. You know, as we are working really, really hard and you know uh, to you know even resources that we need to purchase for the upcoming March. You know, or resources so that we can get information. Um, you know, sent out. You know, postcards. You know, um, or, or more so informational cards to hand out. You know, so we do strongly recommend that people you know, continue to follow us, you know, to, if they can contribute to the GoFundMe, if they can't just spread the word and register to vote.
2: Thank you very much. We, we absolutely love that message. Obviously. Um, I think it's so important for people to participate in the process and hold our elected officials accountable. And that definitely starts with registering to vote and then carrying it through to election day.
3: Right. And, and with our, you know, um, upcoming September March you know what we're you know pushing for course justice and reformation and holding elected officials and police accountable you know we oftentimes we just hear about when uh, you know unjust shootings and killings take place you know but when we just hear justice justice for this person, justice for that person. But, you know, there's not a lot of conversation as to the reformation. How do we prevent this from happening again? And a lot of times, we just focus on just the police department, you know, and accountability, but not holding elected officials accountable. So those are going to be our two focuses for this upcoming March.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much, Princess. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for speaking with us again. And If you have anything else you'd like for us to put out there, you just let us know, and we'll be happy to give you a call again.
3: Thank you, guys. And you guys, again, have been awesome with uh, your continuous support. We truly appreciate
0: it. Thank you. We appreciate you and everything that your family is doing for Justice and Reformation, not just for Marcus, but for everybody who would follow him. Absolutely. Once again, we are incredibly grateful to Princess Blanding for speaking with us again to Tell her brother's story, which continues to go on well after his death. And her struggle for justice and reformation for all in Richmond, not just her brother, for everyone, for you, for me, for your brother, sister, mother, father, husband, wife, significant other, everyone. Everyone is affected by this. And if you think that you are not, then maybe you are part of the problem. And should take some time to reflect that's what this episode is about um, this episode actually goes on for an entire hour and 40 minutes so if you would like to hear it in its entirety please go to any one of our social media accounts and look for our soundcloud link it will be up um, in the evening after this show airs on wednesday august 1st we're going to close out the show today with some thoughts from Fran. Thank you for listening to RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania right here on WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio. Stay classy, Richmond, and stay involved.
1: I've been quiet because um, I've been trying to not cry, but this is something That It sounds, you know, on the radio you hear us talk about stuff and we crack jokes and we laugh and we tweet snarky, funny, you know, stuff all the time. But when we cover things like this, this is not me covering something that happens to my neighbor or um, we're talking about a national thing on Twitter that we don't see or some disconnected um, or some 700 page PDF that we choose to read, um, you know, that's full of crazy stuff during budget season or that we um, choose to attend a uh, mayoral forum of some sort. The type of feelings that conversations like this invoke for me as a black woman with a black son in, in this society, in this country, it's, um, I, I mean, it. I can't understand why it wouldn't be anything but clinical PTSD. Because every day you turn on the TV and somebody lost their life in Richmond the night before. Somebody did. And 80% of the time, it's a black person. And you log on to Twitter and somebody's been dragged across the street by a cop or had the cop called on them for, you know, just being black, you know, and living, making lemonade or barbecuing or being in a space where you're not wanted. Um, It's a constant reminder that understanding what freedom might mean to other people is definitely different than what freedom is for an existence of a race of people in this country. So I don't know if there's words for the feelings that um I encounter when we talk about things like this because there just aren't words. <laughs> there just aren't words. And if that's something that um you as a listener you know, don't understand or don't quite um, maybe have uh, empathy for. You know, then maybe you're a part of the problem because there are hundreds of thousands of people in this in our area um, that are black and brown that wake up with the same number of hours that you do every day and. We have to conduct ourselves in a certain way or make sure that we're in a certain place, wearing a certain thing, acting a certain way, talking, speaking a certain way, doing the right thing, keeping our hands visible when we're stopped by a cop, not coming from or being in a suspicious place even when we're unaware. Always five, 10, 20 times better requirement when you leave the house or live. Or else you're targeted and people leave their homes every day as law abiding, ground people and they don't come home. So it's rough. It's rough. So we need reform. It needs to be and and this is an important part of it. We have to have the conversation first. Um and that's why it's so terribly disrespectful. And so egregious when you have the conversation happening and you have white men who put themselves in the place of a constructive conversation that's happening in order to move things and have these things be aired. And you have white men who exert their power in the room to control what's being said or to stop what's being said. Sometimes the best thing for so many of these conversations is for some people to just shut up and listen. Just just shut up and listen. But the conversation has to happen first or we will continue to bury Marcus's over and over because we never get to where we need to get to because we can't even have the conversation constructively. And we have to hold... Our local government responsible, even when they want to follow their procedure or their process, continue to fight because some of those processes are set against us anyway. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so we have to continue to fight and continue to have your voices be heard regardless of the numbers of people that stand up and say, be quiet, because the conversation has to happen first. In order for us to get anywhere with reform, in order for us to be able to discuss policy, um, regardless of what the outcome of this investigation is, what Princess Blanding has decided she will die doing is continuing to seek justice for her brother, and it doesn't necessarily have to come in the form of the judicial system, but she wants it to be an open public forum that starts with the conversation. And she will be heard. And if we had people with that type of tenacity who were intrinsically connected to this fight and not just that are black and brown, that's what it's going to take. That's how I feel. RPS still is not fully funded. Flint still got dirty water and we need reform.